studying Matthew chapter 8. So if you don't mind, while I'm putting him on my shoulders, if you wouldn't mind turning to Matthew chapter 8, that'd be great. I don't watch the light, but you good? Okay, good job. Okay. Okay, Andrew, I want you to stay there while we're going to read Matthew chapter 8, okay? Okay. Hopefully this is not a distraction for you. Um, if it is, I apologize. We're in chapter 8 of Matthew. We've been... We've been um, going through the entire book over the last several months, um, starting in chapter 1, and we've seen, we've seen over the last several weeks, we've seen the teachings of Jesus, that's Matthew chapters 5 through 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and right now we're studying the deeds of Jesus, um, but guess what, there's still teaching mixed in, so we're going to get some of that teaching today. So let's start with verse 18 of chapter 8, starting with verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Say, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? Don't worry, you can... I know, it's okay. He's using his Bible on there. Um, okay, so, here's my question, and the reason that Andrew's on my shoulders today. Uh, is this risky? What I'm doing right now? Yes. Okay, Hunter says yes. Any other suggestions? Any other thoughts? Yes, we have a yes. Any, any no's? Any no, yes? No. Okay, Doug's saying no. Why, Doug? Why, why no? <laughs> That's iffy. Now let me ask you this: is it a, is it a bigger risk for him to be up there than on the floor? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about risk, and risk, very simply defined, is exposure to the chance of injury or loss. So when I put him on my shoulders, I expose him. Good job, buddy. You want to stay in here? Or are you going to go out? Okay. Go ahead. Thanks, man. Good job, Andrew. When I put him on my shoulders, I'm exposing him to more, uh, 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 more the, the opportunity to get hurt, um, to, to have loss or to get injured. And that's what risk is. And I mean, the reality is we take risks all the time. I mean, my shoulder experience, my risky shoulder experience was when I was about, I think I was probably about his same age, probably six or seven. We're at my grandparents' house and this was on L Street. I remember it vividly because I remember how it happened. And the, and the pastor of our church was over at our house. And he's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. And we're playing in the backyard on this uh, really nice basketball court. And so this, this guy, his name's Rick, he decides to put me, my six, seven-year-old body like Andrew, onto his shoulders. And I would have said the same thing, Doug. I mean, he was a tough guy. I mean, he was, he was well-built, really no worries. Well, I'm still up high in the air. Right? And he wants to give me the basketball. So he gives me the basketball and he decides to kind of run towards the basket and he jumps 
and forgets to hold on to my legs. <laughs> yep. So I went straight back onto my head oh. from six, yeah, went, like launched off of his shoulders. And I mean, I, the reason I remember it so vividly is because I, I felt fine. I mean, I'm still, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, and, but I, they sat me on the couch inside and, and I got doted on the whole day. And that's the part I remember is that like all my sister and her friends and the, the children and, and all the adults were like hand and foot, like, are you okay? Are you okay? Asking a, you know, every five minutes if I was okay. What's my name? How many fingers am I holding up? Um, but I mean, I think I'm fine. It's just hard to say. I mean, no one really knows. Um, but the reality is, I mean, we take risks all the time. That was a risk. You, I mean, ultimately, you took a risk even coming here this morning, right? You, the minute you step into your car and decide you're going to drive somewhere, your, your um, ch- exposure to the chance of injury or loss goes up dramatically. Uh, and so, but we do it all the time because you can't really live life without taking some sort of risk. And that's what Jesus is actually going to, is talking about and when he describes discipleship this morning in Matthew chapter 8, he's talking about the risk that is going to be involved in following him. We see that in two ways. We see these risks, but, oh, sorry, I get to mention, this is the last point of the sermon. There's also great reward, he promises. So it's not just the fact that Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be risks involved. He's also saying there's also going to be huge reward in following me. So let's look at these today. So number one is discipleship, discipleship risk one, and that's called giving up the comfort of home. Number two, if you're a note taker, discipleship risk number two, and that's called giving up the comfort of tradition. And number three is the reward that comes from testing. Number three is the reward that comes from testing. Now let's talk about discipleship risk one, and this is verses 18 through 20. I'll read them again just to kind of remind us of what the scripture is we're covering here. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you think about it on the surface, this is a really beautiful saying. It's poetic. I mean, use your imagination a little bit. Think about foxes. You know, can't you imagine the English countryside and the little holes they create where they can snuggle down in and get all comfy and cozy? You know, you think about a bird nest, too. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten up in a tree or at your house and seen the bird. Have you ever seen a bird nest up close? It's incredible how cozy they are. I mean, I look and there's one at our house we we moved at from here, and I pulled it off of a tree, and I remember thinking to myself, I would like to live here. I mean, there was like down feathers kind of lining the inside of it. It was this beautiful little home. And Jesus is using this this beautiful imagery to describe the comforts of home. And then, bam, he's like, not that. I don't have that. And by implication, he's saying to the scribe who just asked him the question, he's saying, you're probably not going to have that either. But what does he mean? Does he mean you're not going to ever have a home? I think what Jesus is saying is, And it still translates today. Jesus' point is that he's saying, follow me, follow me, and God is your new home. Now we're going to pack that over the next few minutes. What does that mean? Follow me, and God is your new home. Well, let's think for a moment about what a home is. What's a home? 
A home is a residence. Yeah, Hunter, go ahead. A structure, yeah, absolutely. Like this, this could even be a home right here, couldn't it? Structure, absolutely. Sanctuary. Sanctuary, sure, absolutely. Yes. Another word for that that I'm using for illustration purposes is refuge. Yeah. Sanctuary, refuge. But first, let's talk about residence, the place where you reside. Very simple. But it's important to understand what how how fundamental. That is to our well-being as a human being to have a home. Here's why. The place where you reside is the place where you are also known. This is key. This is absolutely key. It's why when you move to a new place, it's very discombobulating. When you move to a new town or something like that, it's, it's, it's difficult. Because in that old town, probably, if you were there for more than five months, in that old town, people knew you. People really knew you. They actually they knew it made you tick. And, 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 you know, this is true also in our own homes where we grew up with our parents. You know, here's, this is the, I use an illustration from, like, when I take the kids to the park. Like, another mom or dad or something like that will come up to me and say, Oh, your kid is so sweet. I just saw her on the swing and I saw him doing that. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you don't really know him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Because they don't, right? Because that's, how, that's what family is like. Family in a home gets to see you lie and steal and cheat and have smelly feet and sing in the shower and pick your nose. And then they get to forgive you, maybe, hopefully, Lord willing. They get to forgive you, and then you're known. Then you're known. That's home. We all have a deep heart longing for that kind of home. That kind of place where someone actually knows us and, in spite of the warts and all, loves us. That's home. So that's, that's residence, I should say. But more than a residence, to your point, David, more than just a residence, a home is also a refuge. It is a place where we go to escape the dangers of life out in the world. I mean, we need it. We need a place, I need a place I can come and finally kind of rest and relax and where people know me and aren't going to like attack me or make fun of me or all those things that go along with that. And it's why the same reason somebody, if you're home, and I don't know if some of you had this growing up, but if your home is tumultuous and there's fighting and there's, uh, there's, there's trouble at home, it is ins- incredibly difficult. Um, it, it actually, it will affect you for the, the rest of your life. Because it's what's supposed to be a safe place, what intrinsically needs to be a a refuge, a sanctuary, has turned into something that's difficult and hard. And if you're like me and had some difficulty, you'll try to find it elsewhere. You'll go on a search. Uh, There there will be a, a journey, a longing for this thing called home, this residence, this refuge. You know, speaking of refuge, um... When I was about 20, I decided that I would go on my first solo camping trip. That was a mistake. Uh, it, sounded, it sounded, you know, romantic. I'm going to go out and, you know, I'm a man of the woods. I'm going to go and chop trees down and, you know, I'm going to go make it on my own. Independence. Kind of what we talked about earlier. Um, but I got out there and everything was fine. I got my fire going. I was about three miles from the parking lot. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I was on a little lake. It was beautiful. This is up in Wisconsin. It's gorgeous. 
And um, then, it, then it started getting darker. And I started getting more and more worried. And I started hearing every sound in the woods around me. And this is the funny part. This is what's funny. A tent, I mean, this is a nylon tent, offers almost zero protection. But I ran as fast as I could, zipped up the tent, it would not come out. I ended up having to use the restroom in my water bottle. <laughs> I was not going to come out. Even though it offered pretty much zero protection from anything wanting to attack me, it still at least felt like a refuge. It felt like a home. And that is so important to us because the world often feels exceptionally dangerous. Not just in the woods at night, but just life. Just life at school, life at work, life out on the street can be very, very tough. Um, So Jesus talks to this scribe, this expert in the law, who obviously knew the Bible really well. Backwards and forwards, he was a scribe, which meant he spent most of his life studying the Torah, or the Old Testament. Um, And he says to him, you've got to find a new home. If you come to follow me, this comfort that you take in all of your traditions, all of the things that make you, that you've made a home for yourself, that's going to be ripped from you. These things you've trusted in for for safety, for comfort, you have to find it in God alone. God has got to be your home if you're going to follow me. And He will be. Jesus says He will be your home. And then Jesus goes on later in chapter 8. We just read it a moment ago. He illustrates it for the disciples. He says, come get on this boat with me. Okay. Now I've told you that God must be your home to follow me. And He says, "Let's, let's do it. Get in the boat. What happens in the boat? Huge storm blows up. The boat starts to rock. These, it's, it says, the disciples who were in the boat, they literally thought they were going to die. That's how bad the water was. And what is Jesus doing? Sleeping. He's sleeping in the back of the boat. Think about that for a minute. There's Part of the people on the boat think they're going to die. And then another part of the boat, the guy in the front, who's on his pillow is sleeping. Jesus is illustrating for them, this is what it looks like when God is your home. What I mean is, it radically, when God is your true refuge, when God is your residence, when you are, when you re, through the gospel, when you know that you can go to Him and you are fully known and fully loved because of Jesus Christ, that is your residence. And he's, he's your refuge. It's like we, what we read about in Psalm 91, about God hiding under the wings of God, being in his fortress. A mighty fortress is our God. <clears throat> Jesus is like, when that, if that sinks deep, if it goes really deep in your heart, you can sleep through a storm. You can sleep through a storm. Because the world, in that, it, when, when God is your home, the world is no longer dangerous. You can go anywhere. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. You can actually follow Christ. So the second thing Jesus talks about, starting at verse 21. Discipleship risk one, follow me and God is your new home, says Jesus. Secondly, Jesus says, another of the, Matthew writes, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go, first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Does that, does that make sense to anybody? What does it mean? 
I, I, I struggled with that this week. I'm like, what? Dead bury their own dead? Thankfully, did some translation work. It basically means leave those details to someone else. <laughs> it's not as weird. I mean, like once you kind of dig into it, it doesn't mean dead people are going to go bury dead people. He's just saying, you, if you follow me, and this is the point of the second part of discipleship, if you follow me, God is your new tradition. God is your new tradition. What's a tradition? This one's a little harder, Hunter. Home's a little easier. What's a tradition? Historical practice. Yeah. An inherited, established, or customary pattern of thought. It's, Jesus was speaking to the tradition of this man, this disciple, and we think it, the Bible commentators think it's different than the scribe who's talking to him at this point. He comes up and says, I need to go bury my father, which was a deep Jewish tradition. Not only did you care for your parents who were sick at the end of their life, but you also, as they approached death and actually then died, you were responsible for this whole process of burial as the child of this thing. And so Jesus is saying, there's some new traditions that are about to happen if you follow me. There's something new and different. But we have to be careful here. We have to understand, Jesus is not saying to this disciple who talks to him, he's not saying, I want you to be unloving to your family. He's not saying, I want you to be ungracious, right? Because Jesus, when he talked to the Pharisees, he said, y'all's traditions need to change quite a bit. But he said, they need to change from doing just outward motions to real love and real justice. So Jesus here is doing the same thing. He's saying, he's saying these traditions, we are, I'm calling you on a new mission a new kingdom mission as the kingdom moves in and you're going to have to give up some of your traditions. That is a hard thing, y'all. If we, I mean, we can, we can move it, think about it back then and then let's move it to today. So back then, you didn't even have to be a Pharisee necessarily to really enjoy a lot of the Jewish customs they had of the day. Right? They, they wore certain clothing. The, the men had certain ways they wore their beard. Um, so you would have these specific ways you looked. You had clothes that you would really be comfortable in. You had this community. You washed your hands a certain way. You ate certain foods and didn't eat certain foods. You hung out with certain people and didn't hang out with certain other people. And these things were very, very comfortable. It's like an old T-shirt. You know, does anybody have an old T-shirt? Oh, isn't the best? Chrissy made me throw away so many of my old T-shirts. <laughs> when we got married because they were they had holes in them and they sort of just hung off my body like at an angle have you had one of those have you had one of those they're the best just gets so soft and comfy and Jesus is saying I know you're super comfortable in your traditions I know that you love how it feels but some of it's going to have to go in the trash that's what he's saying it's hard it's a harsh reality but he's saying there's a new thing happening here there's new traditions that I'm bringing. And so what are some of those traditions? I've got a, a few things, a few ways I want to illustrate what Jesus means by giving new traditions to his disciples, to those that would follow him. The best way to think about it is this. The reason we love certain traditions in our life, certain traditions about our culture, our community, our, the way we dress is because they are markers that identify us. That's why you see, you know, you see bumper stickers that are like heritage not hatred and, and whatever it is. Okay, whatever the thing is you see on the bumper sticker. I'm not going to get into it. There's an amazing amount of weird bumper stickers out there. 
But there's often this, this there's often a bumper sticker as a way to say, I have an identity. Right? I mean Christian fish, same thing, right? You stick it on the back of your or or the 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 fish that's now been turned into a walking uh, sort of uh, whatever it is. Nonetheless, they're identifying marks. And they're saying, I'm a part of this tradition um, because I want you to identify me in a certain way. And that's what Jesus is saying to this this person who wants to follow him. He's saying some of these traditions that you have literally relied on for your identity, you're going to have to let go of them to follow me. It's going to be hard because you don't want to give them up. There's a man uh, who's an author, and he's one of my favorite authors. His name is Henry Nouwen. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's got a couple. There's a book he's got called The Way of the Heart. It's really good. I highly recommend it. But he talks about in there, he describes this journey he took to this sort of uh, what's called an intentional community. They used to call it in the 70s, they called it a commune, but now it's called an intentional community. Uh, and it's, it, the one he went to is in Europe and it's called Labrie. And he goes to this, this uh, intentional community, and this particular community is set up specifically to help people with special needs. So Henry Nouwen, he's a well-known author, well-known academic, and this is very apropos for Charlottesville. He comes into this community, and everyone there is a person with special needs, most of them with mental disabilities. No one cares a snot what his credentials are. No, he, he, said, he said it was the most profound and difficult thing he's ever done. He would wake up in the morning and he would interact with these folks. He would go to breakfast. He would be, hang out with them during the day, go to lunch with them. And no one cared that he had five degrees, that he had a doctorate. No one knew it. No one ever asked him. And he said, this, my identity was ripped out of my hands. And he said it was so incredibly hard. Because I couldn't be the person I always thought I was. I was judged. He said, when I entered this community, this Liberty community, I was judged for how I loved that day in that moment. It was me and Jesus. And I I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he talks to this person who says, I want to go this tradition, Jesus, this tradition. Let me go bury my father. It's not that big of a deal. And Jesus is saying, your identity is going to be stripped bare. And what's going to happen is you're going to have to try to find, or not try, you're going to find your identity in me. And that's the beauty of it. That's the good news of it. This identity in Jesus is a real identity. It's what the gospel brings to those who would follow him. It's Jesus saying, you are now a son or a daughter of the king. There is incredible privilege a part of this gospel following of Jesus. You are given through repentance, through turning from tradition, through turning from what you've previously used, maybe even idolatry, what you've previously used for your identity. You now, in Christ, find your real identity. And those accusing words and those things you thought you had to have to prove to other people that you had value, you can let those go. Because now you have Jesus. And that's enough. That's what Jesus is telling to those who would be his disciples. He says, God is your home. I am your home. God is your identity. I am your identity. And that's enough. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. Because I will be with you to the end of the age. This was very powerfully illustrated to me from two people. Both of these truths. 
The first was a family that I knew when we were in Lexington, a guy who was my mentor there in Lexington, Virginia. And he um, walked me through lots of different scriptures. But one time I was invited over to his home and we had dinner with him and his wife. And they described this time in their life when they had started uh, uh, to plant a church in, in Arkansas, weirdly. I know this is in Lexington, Virginia, but he was also from Little Rock. It's a strange connection, uh, which is where I'm from. But they, uh, they talked about how everything was going okay. And then this one person who, who, who was a part of that plant, just who, who came from this mother church that they had planted, just began to sabotage everything. And began to go back to the mother church and just, just accuse them of all kinds of terrible things. So eventually it just exploded and they ended up having to move to Georgia. And his wife is describing this process at the dinner table. And she said, we were ripped from everything that we would call home. They both grew up in Little Rock. They both went to the University of Arkansas. They had come back home. This was their network. This was their people. This was, this was, this was familiar. This was the place where they were actually known and loved. And all of a sudden, they're jetting out to go interview in Georgia. They end up moving out to Georgia to this random place they had never been. I think it was like near Macon. Never been there before. Starting a brand new community. And she said, that was the, most, that was the first time in my life that I powerfully understood that God is my home. That this place is not my home. I'll never forget it. And it was an incredible lesson for me. Um, and it was an incredible lesson for the risks that sometimes we are called to take for Christ. The things that we are called to change for Christ. Secondly, the second piece of this was illustrated even very recently for me with my sister. Y'all have been helping me pray for her. Um, She came through a successful double mastectomy. But one of the things I was reminded of, I asked her if I could talk about this this morning. And one of the things I was reminded of as I thought and prayed for her thought through what she was actually feeling and going through was her identity has been rem- massively changed. I mean, her identity as a woman, as, as someone who cares deeply about her beauty, um, it has been, it is, cancer has attacked that. And yet, just a couple weeks ago, she had this Facebook post where she posted this incredible uh, passage from this guy named Charles Spurgeon. And she talked about the fact that she is standing firm in Christ, even though her identity has been attacked by what we called last week, I don't know if you remember last week, that dragon, cancer. That was from last week. We talked about how Jesus pushes back the darkness. But not only does he push back the darkness, not only do we push the darkness back with him, but also we do it with this beautiful gospel truth that we have a new home in him and we have a new identity in him. And armed with those two truths, we then are sent out as we follow Christ to take some actual risks. And don't get me wrong. If you're here at this church this morning, you've already taken a risk. Because church planning is risky, okay? So I give, there's some credit there. Some credit where credit is due. Nonetheless, nonetheless, ask yourself that question today. Where is the place you know God has been pushing you? Where's the place you've been afraid to go or the person you're afraid to talk to or the thing you're afraid to give up because you're afraid that you will lose your home or you'll lose your identity if you give it up? Armed with the truth that he is your home and identity, take the risk. Do it. Take the risk. He is your savior. He is your all. Jesus, as we come now to the table, 
we're going to see how he fills us and we are in him. It's this beautiful thing. He's in us and we are in him. The closeness, the tight-knitness. That's what this uh, communion shows us. So let's pray for a minute about that. Lord God, uh, we come to you this morning. Um, Lord, we want, we want a real home in you. We want real acceptance. We want, re- we want to be known at the depth of our being and loved in that spot, Lord. But we, we're afraid to go there. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid, Lord, that you would not have us. But you have promised, Lord, if we turn from our sin and we receive Jesus, that you accept us fully and completely. I pray that there's someone in this room this morning, Lord, who has not done that, who has not found their home in Christ, that this would be the day that you would, by your Holy Spirit, draw them to you. Lord, and may, may we all find in a fresh way our home in Christ. Lord, and we also thank you that you have given us beautiful new traditions. We're going to celebrate one right now, Lord. Jesus, you gave us this tradition of feasting on you and uh, being reminded of your death and your resurrection for us, for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So now, as I just mentioned, uh, we get together to come to uh, the table, the table that Christ himself instituted. This is a tradition that he put in place.